the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, we've got Mr. Brandon Birdside. Brandon! What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Good to see everyone. Good to see you, brother. Uh, next, we have Mr. Nick Peck. Well, hello, Mike. Hello, guys. Wonderful to see you. Another happy Thursday with my friends. And finally, we have Mr. Iron Man of the Audio Now cast, Rob Arbiter. Rob. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. Good to see you all. It's good to see you guys. So, uh, yeah, who would have thought a year ago when we started doing these podcasts uh, on a weekly basis that we'd still be doing these podcasts from remote? Uh, that it's it's really crazy to think about the fact that we've been in this you know this state for a year, right? Uh, it's it's incredible. This a three sixty five of fifteen days to slow the spread. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys? Let's just talk a little bit about that right before you know before we get into it. Do you remember when when it first shut down? I remember like there was this little bit of fear because nobody really kind of knew what was going on, and then a little sense of panic. And I didn't really feel that panic until I went to Costco. And I went with uh, with my son, and it's like you know what? Let's let's go stock up on a little bit more food. And man, the lines were the lines were ginormous, and it was. And this was actually uh, a few days. This was like the Tuesday of the week that we shut down, maybe Monday. Oh. Um, so it was actually a few days before it actually got kind of gnarly, and it was still the long lines. And I was like, wow, how is this going to happen? I mean, do you guys remember, Nick, do you remember when that whole week started? Oh my God. Uh, yes. I, 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 there's just going to be so many memories that are going to be piling up on all of us for the rest of our lives. You know, my office at Disney is still loaded to the gills with all sorts of stuff that I need, including my dongle with all of my, uh, all of my plugins in it. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, I'll be back in a couple of days or something. And a year later, I can't even remember what I have there that I, you know, that I need anymore. But I, I just have this incredible memory of, uh, you know, yeah, a year ago when I couldn't even get into a grocery store and I went to a, a, a beer place, like a bar that had pub food and they had started selling groceries. So like being, you know exorbitant prices for toilet paper and getting a little teeny tiny roll of it and like an old, you know, an old, you know, head of head of cabbage or something. It was like post-World War II or something. And obviously things have gotten a lot better since then, but oh my God, I'll never forget that. That was crazy. What about you, Rob? Do you remember that week when that, when everything's starting to shut down? Yeah. And I, I went to the uh, supermarket near me and had to wait an hour and a half to get in. That was just crazy. And there were people, as I was waiting in line, there were people coming out saying, don't worry, they still have stuff, they still have stuff, like reassuring the crowd. But uh, yeah, an hour and a half, that was bad. And, there were, and none of the delivery services were working. Like there was no way, if you didn't wait in a line like that, you weren't going to get food. So it, that's so true. How about you, Brandon? Yeah, I remember it. Still <laughs> <laughs> pain in the ass. <laughs> you know what was crazy? Yeah, uh, 
I will say that the the pandemic it 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 uh, helped focus a lot of energy that was focused on the outside for a lot of people to focus on the inside, like what's around them, like doing projects, working with what you have, since you couldn't go outside, right? So for me. It was one of the things about the pandemic. As soon as we were in, I just sat there and I thought, you know what? Let's just start podcasting virtually because we were going to podcast anyhow. And at the very beginning, we were doing it like on a weekly basis. And thank God we stopped doing that. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I don't, I don't love you guys. Fun. No, it, it was, was great. No, 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 it was great. But when you're, you know, when the two weeks turns into like seven weeks, you're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mike, what's a good, you know, not a good, but like, what's a really powerful memory for you from a year ago? I think I got two memories. Number one was that, that Costco memory that I was talking to you yeah. about. But the second thing was how easy it was for all of us to start podcasting again. It was like, prior to that, remember we were all like, I'd send an email out and this person, this person, this person couldn't make it. So here, I'm going to, we'll get a little behind the scenes stuff with the audio now, cast. So I'll send out an email and, and I'll find out, you know, who prior to the whole pandemic, I'd find out who's available to podcast because we weren't podcasting that often because everybody was busy and um, certain things, certain people, you know, we want to accommodate and we will accommodate more. And if we don't hit, so many people on the panel, then we don't do the podcast. We'll just push it off, you know. Um, but once the pandemic hit, it was really easy to get you guys on Zoom because nobody was really doing anything. But to be honest, it was actually really good for me. It was like, this helps me. This is like therapy. It's just getting together with your friends and just, you know, making sure everybody's doing okay and just you know, talking tech and, and just getting a little overview of what's going on. Um, The worst thing about it is I had, I was in the middle, I just started a shooting a documentary and literally I've had to shelve it for this whole past year because I, you know, I shot a little bit on it, but it's just, you know, without being able to go out there and travel and stuff, it's really, really difficult to do. But yeah, so our first podcast, that whole thing was uh, definitely a, a good memory. It's a, it was a really great memory. Anyway, yeah, so here we are. <laughs> Show uh, 221. And prior to the um, prior to the pandemic, we were in the high, you know, I think we're in 190, I think is when we did it. So we did like, done like 31 shows this year, which is a record for us. So yeah, it's, it's been, uh, been really interesting. And the crazy thing is, is in not next podcast, but the podcast after that, we're going to be celebrating our 15 year anniversary on the podcast. <laughs> How crazy is that? 15 years. And Rob's been to every single one of them. <laughs> I just, uh, oh, you were muted. I'm muted. Oh no, now you're good. Maybe having internet issues, but I was just saying that's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. I just can't I believe the word podcast was invented 15 years ago. You know? <laughs> that just seems nutty. Just it was. Fun. And you know, what's just amazing is the explosion of podcasts in like the last couple of years. Not even the last five years. I'd say like in the last three years, it's just been, yeah. you know, we're the little engine that could. So there we go. Well, the majors are, are very, very serious about this stuff. Podcasting has become, you know, 
really mainstream broadcasting exactly you know, in a lot of different ways i don't even think it should be called i don't think those things should even be called podcasts but because it takes away from the diy scrappy feel of like you know our podcast but that's that's what's going on it you know it is what it is and to be honest i've checked out a lot of podcasts and there's a, there's some great podcasts but then there's also podcasts that are like Really? You're going to do a whole podcast on that particular subject? It's like, it's, it's pretty funny. Anyway, um, but yeah, I'm just glad everybody's still here. We've got some really fun things um, scheduled and uh, really fun things to talk about. So one of the things I want to talk about today is the theme of today was from a listener that I was uh, conversing with and they wanted to know what our favorites were because we talk about a lot of gear. We talk about a lot of mics and we talk about DAWs and plugins and we've mentioned it every now and then what people like, but we really, you know, no one's really, we've never done like a favorite show. And so we got to get into the favorites. So I'm going to ask you guys some of your favorites just so that we can have a list. And then <laughs> in true audio now cast style, the fun ones are your least favorite. <laughs> uh, and those are really fun. Um, but for instance, let's just, you know, because we've actually picked up a lot of new listeners and things like that throughout this, this pandemic year. Mm. So this is kind of, they're going to get to know us and kind of where we come from. And we're going to start with, the foundation of everybody's studio, which is basically, you know, their DAW, what they work with. And, you know, you don't have to go into long explanation. It could be really short, but I want to know, and let's start with you, Rob, what's your DAW of choice and, and why do you like working on it? I, I go back and forth between Pro Tools and Cubase. I use uh, Cubase more for writing music and Pro Tools more for editing it and editing sound and mixing. So I, I go between them, but I, I promised myself a long time ago that I would never miss out on a gig because I didn't happen to have that particular piece of software. So I learned whatever DAW I need for a project. Um, but yeah, I, I generally would write music in Cubase and edit and mix in Pro Tools. Well, let me ask you a question. Knowing you for as long as I've known, you have no idea as a Cubase guy, even back when we were doing Stevie. Um, what is it about Cubase that you like as far as creating music that, that Pro Tools doesn't do for you? Um, is it just familiarity or the, well, the no, function? Familiarity. In the early days, it was because it's quantized felt better than everybody else. Like there were, there were actual yeah. differences that you could hear and feel that really mattered, especially when I was helping Stevie with stuff. And I would try to always be using the same gear he was using. That way I'd be sort of learning it for both of us. That makes sense. Both of us. But... Um, there were just little things like I love the way Cubase records during a count in. So if you if you happen to play, you know, a grace note or something leading into a phrase, I don't know, maybe Pro Tools does this now. I haven't checked in many years, but that was always a big differentiator where with Cubase you could play during the count off before you were actually, you know, working in the song. Hmm. And in Pro Tools you couldn't. And things like that used to matter a lot. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, they've all gotten really good. You can get work done in any. I've definitely done sure, projects sure. where I've done all the composition and Pro Tools too. But uh, if given my choice, that's how I work. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with familiarity too. I mean, once you find something, you know, even if something catches up with you, you just kind of like the way you, the workflow works. Well, how about you, Brent? It depends on the kind of music too. Like I'll, I'll use the uh, the uh, 
the Machina stuff, you know, from Native Instruments. If I'm writing that kind of way, I'll use Ableton Live if I'm writing that kind of way. I try and I try to just use whatever tool seems like it's right for the music, but let the music dictate. Oh, that's cool. Very How about cool. you, Brandon? What do you work in and why? Well, I started on Pro Tools, but um, I've been using Ableton for like 10 years and uh, haven't looked back. It's uh, the just the, you know, I've fortunately been in a world where I haven't had to sort of conform to other people's projects and, you know, sure. jump from my you know system to using Pro Tools. I haven't, I haven't had to do that. So I could just, it was my choice. Um, but Ableton just workflow wise was so fast for me. I mean, Cubase was great too, but Ableton for just doing weird creative stuff and routing and processing. And there's a million different ways to parallel process in Ableton, you know, and there's just, uh, yeah, just for, and just ease of use. I don't know if it's, you know, just cause I'm familiar with it at this point, but I feel like in the beginning, I, it felt faster to get ideas down quickly was one reason I liked it. Totally. Yeah. I'll tell you that one. That makes a lot of sense because of like sort of the looping paradigm, right? And like the smaller yeah. cellular paradigm behind that thing, right? You can just work quickly and easily on a little chunk of, of music. Yeah. yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple different ways to use it, but yeah, that's, that's more like the, the live looping, like live performance side of it. I actually use it more in like the traditional linear format, like the other DAWs, but yeah, I just, I, I like the, what I'm able to do with the routing and I, I do some weird stuff with my, my routing and my, <laughs> my uh, I'll tell you, back in the day when I first, actually when I first met Brandon, I used to hang out over at his room where we used to work together. Um, he would show me things in uh, in Ableton that are was so he quick. Like, Ableton. He still calls it Ableton after 10 I know, he's the only one on earth. <laughs> Ableton. I have to call you out. Ableton. Ableton, Ableton, Ableton. Ableton. <laughs> Why are you guys harshing on Mike? Come oh, on. It's been, like, you know what? It's every for year. 15 years. <laughs> Ableton, 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 I Ableton, Ableton. Anyway, all that to say is in Ableton, <laughs> Brandon, uh, like he created this chatter sound effect that was like fast. It was like just, it was, it's the fastest I've ever seen anybody do like a really cool processing for a sound effect that was just like boom, 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 boom. And he just like, it was just this amazing chatter sound effect, and I was I was really impressed how well you knew it. So, I thought that was pretty cool. So that was probably their auto pan. If you set it, if you set the phase to to zero, it turns into like a tremolator type tremolator. Hmm. It was it was quick. That's all I can tell you. It was like boom, 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 and you and you you hit it. And I know trying to do that because I've tried to do that effect in Pro Tools, and it never was as fast as what you did. So that was like, oh, that's pretty cool. How about you, Nick? What are you working on and why? Uh, well, um, I have three different primary paradigms along those lines, or three different primary recorders. Um, you know, as, we, as we've talked about many times in the past, but, you know, not for new, to new listeners, I was a Pro Tools guy for, oh, probably 20 years, something like that. And I got so frustrated with... Um, the lack of configurability, the bugs, and the feeling to me that the user interface was just bolting on one thing after another rather than thoughtfully going and re-architecting it as it went along, um, that I switched over to using Reaper, 
for all of my audio editing. And I love it for that because it's extremely lightweight. It's really fast. I can run it on an inexpensive, not very powerful laptop, and it's great. So I use Reaper for mixing and for editing of dialogue and sound effects. For music, I am right there with Rob. I absolutely love Cubase and have gone through all of them. I went through Performer and Digital Performer and whatever the opcode one was, Studio Vision, and then Logic for a long time, and then back to Performer, and then back to Logic, and then to Cubase. I'm like, okay, this is it. I have arrived. And uh, so I really love, I love Cubase for the commercial music that I work on. Anytime that I need MIDI and synthesizers and that kind of stuff, or, you know, software synthesizers, I mean, uh, I do it in Cubase. And then the other device that I use uh, is a computer, but it's not a DAW at all. It's not a DAW at all. Uh, and it's my, my Is Radar device, which is a 24-channel hard disk-based recorder, extremely high quality with a purpose-built um, control panel to allow you to be able to rock and roll on it really, really quickly. So if you don't need to, if you if you don't need it to be able to do fancy editing or synthesizers or any software plugins or anything like that, um, it's great. It's, if you're just, I would never use it for commercial music, but for art music, I absolutely love it. It just feels like me and the expressivity that I am creating in the gesture in the moment or the expressivity with which I am mixing in the moment through my analog desk with no automation. It just feels like this is, this can only be done once. This can never be done again. And so I, I really like that about it very much. That's cool. And, and that works because you're such a good player. So you never, ever blow, you know, when you play. <laughs> oh, everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> and it has, you fine pun- it has a fine punch. <laughs> I've heard you play, Nick. You're yeah. really, really good. I, as is Rob. I, actually, all you guys are really good. So um, anyway. What about you, Mike? Well, uh, I'm kind of like Rob in the fact that I've always wanted to learn them all. So I literally have Reaper. I've got them all on my my laptop, and I kind of dabble. But the go-to, um, if I if I want to start a song and just to have some fun, I will start it in um, in Ableton. <laughs> Is that right, Ableton? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will start it. Uh, I just really like ten. I like a lot of stuff. I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a master of it, but it's super. Like, I get why people go to it because it's like the loop record and and just your, just the power of being able to do real time MIDI adjustments as it's playing, so that you can hear, like you can hear it within. But once I get it going there, then I'll bounce everything out to Pro Tools because Pro Tools is is the finishing um, platform of choice. I mean, I just, you know, I can make everything. I ask a question about that. Um, I've heard a lot of people, you know, that use Ableton for production do end up, you know, either they're sending it to a separate mixer who's doing it in Pro Tools or they're moving over to Pro Tools themselves to do it. Is there a benefit sonically to doing that? Like... Uh, is, is the sound any punchier or is it just more of a workflow thing? Or I think know? it's, for me, it's more of a workflow because uh, like much like you have the mastery of, of live and you can process things anyway, I that's the way it is with Pro Tools. I can send any signal to anything to do <clears throat> any type of processing I need it, whether it's parallel processing, whether it's, you know, whatever you need, time correction, pitch shifting, any of that. Like, you, I feel like 
after I have all the paints, I can get into Pro Tools and I can, I can now I can kind of mix and create the masterpiece and stuff like that. Look, I think if I spent some time on some of these other DAWs, I could probably do the exact same thing. But just the fact of I understand I've worked, I mean, I've, you know, worked in Pro Tools since the 90s. So it's like it's, I just know it like the back of my hand. And so just the fact that I have all this knowledge of Pro Tools, it's really comfortable and I know the plugins and I know how to do stuff and I know how to route. And, uh, you know, when you're used to routing for instance, back in the post-production side of things, I could I could lay down five one mix, a stereo mix, and all the stems at all the proper um, levels uh, in Pro Tools. So it's really impressive the fact that you can do all this kind of stuff and do all that. So it's just comfort for me. I, I like the way um, um, Ableton works on a lot of stuff, uh, and I've I've messed around with trying to mix stuff through there, but ultimately I, I feel more secure and safe in Pro Tools. But you know, Logic is no slouch either. Logic is really like, that's, I, I go to Logic sometimes when I just want to think different. Like I just want to create with a different DAW. There's nothing better than doing something out of your norm to inspire you to go a different direction, especially with music, you know? And that's why I have FL Studio. I don't know if any of you guys have FL Studio. FL Studio's fantastic if you just think differently just the way it works it's going to cause you to think differently and it's going to cause you to to compose and to write so i'm a big fan of all of them um but those are my my go-to my go-to um daws in a pinch so um and it gets the job done and ultimately you know we're we're way beyond the which is better right there's there's no there's no argument of like this one's better than this one this one's better it's just whatever they're so good now it's whatever uh you choose to do and whatever your budget is and however you want to do it you know to get into a good pro tools rig requires a lot of money and not everybody can do that and so that's why there's this you know slowly the separation between you know the pro tools which is considered old school now right pro tools is old school and and all these other ones that are coming up where you're just are amazing i mean studio one is another one you know that's from uh, Wolfgang Kundrist, you know, that, that is, is an amazing program, which is, you know, some people work with. But the main thing is, is on all these, you know, if you're going to be an island, then you can choose anything you want. But if you want to be compatible, ultimately it ends up in Pro Tools because just everybody. And but you mother. can always bounce. But, but the thing about it is, 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 is this. Everybody, you know, lots of, most people have Pro Tools. However, not everybody has the same plugins. Not everybody has the same hardware. So their routing is completely different. So anytime I've ever tried to share sessions of any DAW, Pro Tools, Cubase, what have you, with somebody else, it never works. It just never does. And so therefore, my lingua franca has always been stems, right? So you're doing your thing. You bounce out wave files. And then, you know, I'm sending something to Rob. I don't care if he's using, uh, you know, I don't care if he's using Performer. It doesn't really matter. You know, he can open up my stems and he can continue working on them, you know, in whatever tool he likes. So that it makes things a lot simpler, I have found. There's, you know what? That's true. But I will tell you, if you work on a project and somebody has the exact same program, there's, there's nothing like not working in stems. For instance, I worked on a song with... Brandon, Brandon did a little spit polish and he sent me the, the live um, session 
And that was great because it had all his edits and everything that he did in it when it came to me. And that, oh, that was actually, it, it takes but I, did, I believe I did freeze and flatten. So, cause we don't have all the same. Like, right. That's no, no, exactly. No. my Yeah. 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 He, we definitely, he, he definitely froze the stuff that we didn't have and we had some of the same stuff. So but yeah, you didn't have to go through the process of importing stems and, and all that. It was just there. You open yeah. it up and it's all right there. Exactly. Rob, you really, I was just going to say it's, it, if you really want to have multiple studios set up where everybody has the exact same plugins and the exact same routing, I've worked with people where we've set up like that. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's a, it's a huge amount of setup time uh, to really make that happen. I think the, the freezing flattening is, is pretty much what normally works in the real world. When I was true. To, uh, sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was going to say that's true because there is a certain, like, I've tried it with Pro Tools before, and if you don't have everything the exact same way, you might as well just stem it out. So I, I, I agree. One of the things I do here a lot is uh, I'll have, you know, an Ableton machine running, and I'll take 24 outs from that machine and run it to 24 ins of a Pro Tools and just use Pro mm. Tools as the console, mainly because I like to be able to grab the faders. Um, but I never actually render anything in Ableton. It just gets mixed live in Pro Tools, and then I just save the sessions on both. So the Pro Tools session is just a mixed session, and the Ableton session is the actual source. When I was at uh, Skywalker Sound, um, there were two guys whose full-time job, they were digital techs, and their full-time job was to install plugins on people's machines and have different builds of Pro Tools and different, that's all they did. Wow. And it was nuts. That is nuts. It's definitely a full-time job. Yeah. Typically a full-time slash boring job. I mean, I hate, I hate installing plugins. That's just me personally. But when you ever, you get a new computer, that's, that's the worst time. It's like, all right, now we got to install all the plugins and that just, it's, I mean, they did other it kind of stuff. So think of it as an it job. No, I know. I, I know. I, I'm saying. They're, but yeah, they're you're right. When you get a new computer, that's just, you're like, you know, you have a day or two of your time just wasted on <laughs> Especially back in the days when it was like, oh, let me install Atmosphere. What is it? 75? Spectrosonics? Atmosphere, like, or Oh my gosh. Load. That was, that's the good old days of like the seven to eight hour install of all yeah. those, like literally, you know, you have like 20 CDs. Oh man. I love their, I love their stuff. I'm so and glad. I would have like CD number 25 would have a reader, you know? And it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the way you're like, what? All right. Well, Hey, okay. So those are, our, those are some of our favorite dogs. Let's, let's move on to our favorites. I want you guys to tell me, we're going to go back to the real world. Uh, tell me your favorite keyboard. Synth, piano, whatever you want to say. I just want you to uh, let me know what your favorite keyboard is. And I'll start with you, Brandon. Well, that's got to be easy. I mean, well, I'll say two because one is my, my complete control S88, which is my, my main MIDI controller keyboard, which I use. But then as far as a synth goes, it's got to be the Hydra synth. Um, I've been loving that, as, you, as I have said on the last <laughs> many times. Um, but yeah, it's the, I can't understate how expressive the poly aftertouch is and just how much that, I, I mean, you guys may have experienced good poly aftertouch before, but I hadn't. And it was just like that, you know, is, 
enabled me to get so much more expressive stuff out of what I'm doing so that I'm not having to like, when you can get that in the performance, you're not having to ride faders as much when you're mixing and all that stuff. And it's just, I mean, beyond that, it's just a, a great, you know, sounding synth and I'm digging it. I'm digging it. That's cool. Rob, how about you? We're talking favorites of all time or favorites now? Just whatever favorite. You can now, all time. I'm not going to put it. I will give a shout out in the past to the Synclavier because the Synclavier was the most amazing, gigantic monster of a workstation ever. I mean, it's, it's really dated now, but it had this amazing keyboard with a million buttons on it and you could just do anything you could think of. And I, it was a lot of fun. And we're talking like, you know, in the 80s. This is going back ways. But that was a really fun synth to play with. And it was very, very few people had them. They were crazy expensive, you know, three, yep. four hundred thousand dollars for a good one. Um, but for eight, eight full tracks, eight full tracks of audio you could get. That on came it. later. That was the direct to disc. I'm talking about just the Synclavier keyboard because we're talking about keyboards. That's true. Oh, right. Waveframes and fair lights and all kinds of fun stuff. But the keyboard for the Synclavier, it was a Profit T8 keyboard built into this case that had all kinds of crazy buttons and dials and stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, more modern keyboard. I still, my go-to is still the Korg Oasis, which I've had for a long time, but it's just an awesome feeling keyboard. Uh, 88 keys, great action. I mean, it has nice sounds too, but I mostly use it as a controller. Uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite modern. And then for back in the days when we were able to fly and go places, I used to carry one of the little teenage engineering OP1s on the Yeah, plane those are cool. To sit and mess around with. And that thing, I mean, it's a horrible keyboard to play, but it was so much power in a little package. And I did a lot of uh, creating with that thing. I really liked it. That's, that's awesome. How about and, you, Nick? And a shout out to Grand oh. Pianos, too. I still prefer Grand Pianos to all the above. <laughs> <laughs> nice Ossendorfer. Um, yeah, I could go on for two hours um, because I have so many keyboards. Almost, you know, the majority of them are analog, but you know, lots of stuff with MIDI and, and digital stuff as well. So, if we're talking about keyboards themselves, the ones that I have had the most flight time on in my long life. Um, uh, the most special and my most number one has got to be the Hammond organ. I have a beautiful Hammond and a Leslie 122 that I've had for decades now. And uh, it's, it's, it still works beautifully. I turn it on and it's just right there. I, you know, it's like an old friend that's always waiting for me. Um, uh, then there would be my grand piano. As Rob said, I have a 1927 uh, Mason and Hamlin um, baby grand. Uh, but actually my favorite favorite is my dad's piano, which is an eight foot long Kawhi grand piano that I never thought that I would like an Asian piano because I like the sound of German piano so much better. But as soon as I started playing this one and listening to it, I fell in love. I was like, all of my stereotypes are wrong. This is a beautiful, beautiful instrument. Um, my favorite monosynth is my mini Moog Voyager old school, which doesn't have any you know, memory or anything, you make the sound once and that's it. And you got it. Um, and then my favorite polysynth, which is supposedly coming back from the shop where it has been under repair for at least nine or 10 months is my Oberheim matrix 12, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous analog digital hybrid that has got five LFOs and lag generators and, you know, 
all kinds of matrix modulation sources and all sorts of stuff, all these filters that you can change what the, the flavor of the filter is within it. I just pray that it keeps working because it was created at the dawn of uh, digital computer synthesis stuff. And I, 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 don't know how, I don't know how many years it's got left in it. I hope that it'll keep going for a while. It's got a ton of years left. I'm thinking positive for you. All right. And by, and by the way, let me just say this on your Hammond organ. Uh, Nick knows how to play a Hammond. Like Hammond organ should only be your favorite keyboard if you know how to play. <laughs> because there is a definitely a skill to play in a Hammond organ. Like to it's, play it right, yeah. there's definitely a skill set that's above and beyond. It's a very different performance practice um, than a piano yeah, I won't get into it too much, but yeah, I, I led an organ trio for, you know, a bunch of years, and that was the time in which I was really able to get my left hand together. If you're playing in a in a group um, where you're playing like in a funk or a rock setting, then you don't have to do the left hand bass stuff. You can, you know, be using both of your hands up on the, you know, the top manual. But if you're playing it in a more traditional jazz setting, often there isn't a bass player. And the yeah. Hammond organ player is playing the bass on the lower manual. Rob knows all this. Uh, and the trick is to split your brain apart so that you can continue playing, um, you know, some sort of a, a bass line while soloing freeform over the top of it. And that is something that after a lot of practice I was able to do. Now I'm very out of practice. I don't know how long it would take me to get that back again. All I'm, yeah, all I'm saying is, man... To see someone who can play a Hammond organ is just, it's really, it's amazing. Especially when you throw in someone who knows how to do the pedals. Like, to see someone doing a bass line with their feet and then and then doing the, the organ stuff. And the touch that you have to have. It's like, like oh man, I've, I've just, I've, I've been fortunate to have been a keyboard tech guy with some really great Hammond players. And it's just amazing. And those organs, man, the organs themselves are just, they have their own little personality. And before every show, you just basically ask them, please, please work, please stay in tune, please do all this really good stuff. And then, uh, <laughs> and then they'll, they'll do good. But if you get them upset, and if you take one on tour to a different country, I hope that it's a 60 hertz power supply country. <laughs> yeah, don't. That's the problem. The frequency don't. of the organ is, is yeah. plugged into the it's it's plugged into the frequency of the AC that's coming into it. Yeah, you got to you got to just run them over there. That's great. You have well, that's cool. What? You have oh yeah. Okay, so my favorite keyboards are super easy to, and I've got three. Uh, I've got uh, Prophet 12, I've got the Prophet X, and then I've got another one that I'll show you in a second. And I like the Prophet 12 and the Prophet X because I think I get both sides of the whole Prophet sound, and it's really great. I love what, you know, Dave Smith and Sequential Circuits and all that, what they're doing, especially, like, the first time I've messed around on the 12, um, that slop you know, just to get in there and you just get it a little sloppy, that little slop. It's just, it's just amazing. And then the distortion that you can add, it's just has all these really fun little parameters that are really great. Um, and then obviously, you know, with the Prophet X uh, introducing the samples and, and uh, just the way you can program on and the way you can, you know, the modulation that you can get from all different things. And it's, it's just fun. You know, it's just like, okay, let's see what we can do now. Mike, so it's, can you put your own samples into the, the profit? Yeah, yes, you can. Okay. You, Is that like a real, just simple, like, you know, plug they have the, software the, for the, it. I, I, I actually haven't done it. I've, uh, but I do have software that okay, can. I get a desktop software. 
Yeah. Because anything that I want to modulate like that, I mean, I guess I, I haven't worked on any projects that would, like if I was having the sound design and I really wanted to, you know, do some really fun stuff, I would absolutely throw it in there. But right now I'm mainly doing a lot of post-production mixing and a lot of music stuff. So it's, it's not, I just haven't had the chance to do it, but yes, you can. I'm, yeah, I'm curious about modern hardware samplers that do some crazy stuff for sound design purposes. Like, well, we got, you know, all the in the box stuff, but like, I'm curious about that Prophet X. Do you guys know, is there anything else that's like modern and does some cool stuff? It, you know what? I think, I think in the, in mo- like, whether it's the Prophet X or any of the other samplers that are out there, it's the way modulate the, the way you modulate your sample or the way you use your sample as a modulator against like a sine wave. Like on the podcast where Dave Smith was, you know, um, when he first introduced the Prophet X, he, you know, we had him on the uh, on the podcast, and he was I don't know if this made it on air or not. Where he modulated, he used the modulation of a choir against the sine wave, and it was a sine wave, but it was being modulated by the choir. And when you played it, that sine wave sounded like a sine wave choir, if that makes sense. It just the modulation gave it that personality. And you can do all kinds of stuff with different modulators and how they how they inter, interact with different sounds. And, and a modulator doesn't have to be against a sine wave, but you can use a modulation against another sample. So you can have one sample affect another sample and kind of give it the personality. Like... It's a deep dive. That's why I really <laughs> haven't had a chance to dive, but it is a deep dive. And if you go online, you'll see some people that, that have done it. Um, if you listen to Dave, um, the Dave Smith happy birthday video that, that Sequential did a couple months ago when it was his birthday, one of the guys did, you know, happy birthday, Dave, on the keyboard. And you could tell it was a sample that was being modulated by another sample. And it sounded really cool. So there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do. And I'm sure you can probably do it with any with some of the software ones, but I don't know if any The Prophet X is especially good for the non-traditional sampler stuff, like the weird, very sound designy modulation y stuff. It it really makes that easy in a way that like no one else seemed to have thought of yet. Well, for, yeah. Just the fact that you can reverse your sample, like you literally just hit hit a reverse, boom. Now you're playing your keyboard in reverse, and then you can adjust the start and the end time. So you can adjust how it, you know, whether it's a zah, zah, you know, if it's you're hitting the attack fast or slow, it's there's a lot of really crazy cool things that you can yeah, do. Very performancey um, on it. So anyhow, uh, but the last, you know, this keyboard actually is one of my favorites. It's this little 37 key micro air. It's a cord, and I'll tell you why, because. A, it has enough octaves where you can play with two hands comfortably, but it's Bluetooth MIDI. So I can Bluetooth it into my laptop and I can Bluetooth it into my um, my iPad. And it's great if you just want to create someplace else. Like if I just want to go to the dining room table and just be away and just do something, it's I love Bluetooth MIDI. Just that whole I love, concept. I love it how now going to the dining room table is our idea of travel. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's so true. Yes, you, what if I want to go to Europe and create? No, <laughs> well, they have a 25 key. But the fact that it's battery operated, like it's think about it, battery operated. You got four octaves on that sucker, so you can play with two hands, and it's just you could just. You know, you can you can Bluetooth it to your phone, 
And, and if you have like Korg or any of the really cool little, uh, um, uh, DAWs that they have on their thing, uh, is Gadget a doll? I don't know. But it's basically, if you have any of those, you can play it, and it, the lag is, is next to nothing. It's pretty cool. And I, I just like Bluetooth MIDI. is just a great concept. And, yeah, I'm planning on taking a trip out to my dining room table, and then if I get real crazy, I may go to one of the kids' bedrooms. So we'll see. Yeah, and you, <laughs> might, you might even find electrical outlets there, and you don't need batteries. <laughs> Uh, like you're living on the edge, man. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> don't you guys ever take your like? Don't you ever just want to create someplace else? Don't you totally. ever like? You I know, have my Serge modular in my bedroom instead of in the studio because I can just immediately jump out and play with it a little bit, and I don't have to pass like, out whenever you're done. <laughs> exactly. Well, and my studio is freezing cold right now because it's winter time and there's no insulation, so it's not not a lot of incentive for me to be out there anyway. But no, I mean I've got a bunch of synthesizers in one place, and then I've always got like whatever modular I'm working on right now, whether it's my Buchla or my Serge or my Buchla Easel. They're you know on a table in my bedroom for that very reason. I, I just think sometimes you're, you're forced to do things and you like anything that I can use that will allow me to, to work someplace else, I think is, is phenomenal. I'll give you a great example. This just happened to me. So I've been working on a feature film for, for a couple of weeks and then we had to do a pickup day that was unscheduled. So normally, you know, they'd have the trailers out there and the whole thing and they just wanted to go mean and lean. So I had to set up, I was working DIT. I had to set up my DIT station in my car. So that's what this looked like. Let's see if I can get it to focus. So that's my DIT station in my car. That's the back seat. And I have a rack there and I've got my computer and then I've got my, uh, my iPad and it's all, it's all, you know, it's all inside my Prius. So, so do you have like an extension cord going out the window or something? Exactly. So I just had electrical. They just asked me what I needed and I said, I just give me a drop. So they gave me a drop and I did everything inside my car. And this is the DIT. So this is, I had all the hard drives with the whole film and everything on it. And then when the director needed to do so, see some onset color correction, I literally had a tarp, which you don't see there is I had a tarp over all the windows so that you could black it out. And he just came in there and, and took a quick look. And they, they were ecstatic because originally they were just going to have me outside, but I'm like, you know what? You got the whole film on these hard drives. I, I it's like gold now. You know, the, every single day these drives get more and more expensive because you put more and more footage on them. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to set up in my car and I just drive it up there. The best thing was is I had a really great parking spot because <laughs> I was really close to set. So you know that's why you know a 37 Bluetooth keyboard can, <laughs> could be one of my favorite keyboards. <laughs> hey, Mike, how, how's that going to work out for you in LA in like August? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to do <laughs> air conditioned. Air con Look, here's the thing. If you're going to get a gig, get a gig around the most expensive stuff or around the most important job because you're just treated better, right? So I had my own room in the trailer because I was in charge of all the hard drives and everything. But Going back to a previous career with Stevie, I was in charge of Stevie's keyboards. So guess who got the air conditioner when the sun was blazing down, you know? To have it where, like, Stevie's computers would have air conditioning and the rest of the crew would not. 
So the trick was to just hang out near the computers because they got treated way better than the people. <laughs> I literally, I, when we were in Israel, we were playing outside and it was the hot sun and they literally like built a tent out of tarps and then had a custom air conditioner come in just to cool Stevie's keyboards in his rack. And thank God I was in charge of that because I was just sitting there <laughs> and I wasn't smiling though. The whole key is not to smile while you're in coolness and the rest of the people are, are sweating and suffering. All right. Anyhow, we, we kind of got off on a, a little side note. Um, one thing I want to ask you guys um, is favorite plugins. All right. Whatever it is, can be instrument, can be a, uh, uh, processor and uh, and we're just gonna this will be the the last uh, the last favorite. So starting with you, Nick, give me a favorite plugin. Sure. Um, let me break it down into three categories again because life is always complicated. Uh, my favorite reverb plugins are anything by Valhalla, Valhalla Room, or any of the other stuff by them. I love the sound of his reverbs and I love his business model, which is. Reverb, you know, here's my new plugin. It's 50 bucks. Oh, that one over there, it's 50 bucks. And this one here is 50 bucks. And it just feels so great. And, you know, anytime I need to move it onto a different computer, I just plug in my, you know, key code and it works and all is well. Uh, my favorite EQ and compression, um, it, this is more of a habit thing than anything else. And that's all of the Mick DSP stuff. And the reason why is because I, you know, when I was mixing Guitar Hero Van Halen, I did the whole thing using all McDSP plugins and I learned the daylights out of them. And I've been using the same ones ever since. I know there's a million other great EQs and compressors out there. Those are just the ones that I use. And then the, my favorite quote unquote newcomer or the absolute, um, absolute workhorse that my job and the people on my team would not be able to live without is the isotope rx noise reduction stuff and we use it for cleaning up dialogue all day long and it's it's a it's a godsend yep that's cool uh, i like the valhalla stuff i'm with you on that one that's super massive is the most amazing reverb known to mankind it's so fun and that one's Talk free yeah, it was great. So, uh, yeah, definitely got to give him a plug and let them know that they make some great stuff. Uh, how about you, Brandon? Yeah, also love the Valhalla stuff. Um, love the Fab Filter stuff. I mean, if we were to say what plugin I use most frequently, it's the Fab Filter Pro Q3. I mean, it's just like on everything. Um, but what I love uh, about that recently is the Dynamic EQ, whatever their last update was. Now you can have dynamic EQ, uh, which is wonderful. Um, their multi-band EQs, or their multi-band compressor is great as well. I use that a lot in the expansion mode more than the compression mode, which is really cool. Um, what else? I'm digging the, uh, the, I think I mentioned this before, but the newfangled audio Elevate, which is like a sort of a mastering suite, but it's got what it's doing with the transient processing and the saturation and Everything is, uh, you can get stuff really pumping loud, you know, without losing your, hmm. your, uh, without squashing and losing your transients and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool what it's doing. So yeah, those are the ones I'm digging lately. Cool. Yeah. Hey Rob, how about you? What, what plugins do you, do you like? What's a go-to? Um, well, the go-to, like for our Pro Tools mixes that we're doing on the console, usually the utility channels are mostly Sony Oxford stuff. 
uh, which we've used for a really long time. And uh, let me think. I definitely have to give a shout out to all things Isotope, RX, and and everything else they make. They're just their stuff is awesome. Um, for reverbs, I generally still use hardware. I'm still using lexicons and TCs, and I've got everything wired into the Pro Tools. And like the TC6000 with the touchscreen is still like one of my favorite toys in the world. And it's really old at this point, but it just sounds so good. Um, I actually got one of my old spring reverbs working recently, which is just <laughs> not the most versatile thing in the world. But I have a, uh, it's actually a Tascam spring reverb that I must have bought in like 84, 85. I don't know. It sounds awesome though. It's just great. <laughs> and so yeah, good. you hit it too hard and you hear it go boing. It's just, it's awesome. Um, as far as musical instrument plugins, I think my go-to, I'd have to still say uh, Native Instruments Complete um, just because of the versatility and there's so many things that play well in contact. And it's not the greatest sounding stuff in the world, but it is. it sounds good. And the the flexibility and you know, especially since I started traveling a lot more while working on music, it was just nice to have a real powerhouse uh, of sounds without having to install a million different plugins. And I ended up using Machina a lot for uh, dance music for a while, but still all based on Native Instruments uh, sound and technology. So I'd have to say that's my go-to. All of the Rob Papin stuff for dance sounds, all of his synth plugins are just awesome starting with albino and, and all the newer stuff. Uh, I mean, I have, I have a lot that I really, really like, but if I had to choose one, you know, that whole desert Island thing, it would probably be, yeah. Native instruments complete for music. And actually if I had to choose one effects bundle that just had everything, it would probably be a waves bundle. Uh, wave stuff is really good. We haven't been talking about it, but for, for utility bundles that just basically have all the bases covered, their stuff is still really good. That's a, you know, they've been around for a while because they're good. Like people use their stuff, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm one of those people who bought the Mercury bundle back when <laughs> those kinds of dollars for plugins made sense. Uh, but the stuff is really good. It, you can't beat it, especially the utilitarian stuff that they have. It's, it's really good. Well, um, you can't, in, the, in the auto world, you can't get into that trap of thinking, well, newer is better. Because let's face it, some of the best records ever made were still you know, from the 70s, the best sounding records ever. So you can't just say the newer thing is the better thing. Now, with digital, yeah, no one's going to scream that a, a 44.1 CD, you know, 16-bit CD, is better than a high-res recording now if you had the same source material. But right. a lot of these, a lot of these plugins and and you know ESP systems, they didn't have that much horsepower, so they were forced to be clever. And there's a lot of great work that happened decades ago, and the stuff is still valid. Well, one of the best things about some of the older plugins is they have a light load on your CPU, um, lighter than some of the new stuff. There's nothing worse than getting a new plugin and it's just a pig. It just you know, starts consuming a lot of resources. Although having said that, computers have gotten so much more powerful. You don't quite run up against that like you're used to. I mean, right, I remember in the old days, we used to have to like, when Arturia would come out with a new plugin, I'd buy another <laughs> computer to run it on. Because <laughs> their stuff was so processor heavy. I remember when, was it the CS80 came out and the Jupiter 8? Like each one of those, to really be able to give you the polyphony you wanted, you needed it on its own computer. Yeah. And now you can just 
have as many of those as you want because it's not nearly as big of a of a pig as they used to be. You know, so. yeah, time takes care of those things. You know, computers just keep getting faster. Hey, Rob, um, is the Sony Oxford stuff, is that still supported? Is that stuff still made? Because those were I have, some of my favorites ever. You know, I have no idea. My whole setup, because I refuse to get on the, uh, the Pro Tools bandwagon of spend $50,000 to upgrade and end up with the exact same feature set, you know, with newer hardware. I, my Pro Tools universe, other than one laptop that I do keep on the edge, most of my Pro Tools universe is frozen from a few years ago. Uh, so a lot of these plugins, I have no idea if they're still. Well, I think the the Oxford stuff. I think that's um, the company that's supporting that is Sonics, S O N N O X. I think and it that's, had been for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Sonics had been. I give a shout out to one of those, the uh, the Oxford Inflator. I still use that thing all the time, and I haven't found anything that does what that does. No, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I I remember the first time I actually got to see a Sony Oxford console in person, and that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. I forget where I saw it, but and I just thought when that plugin came out, I thought if this is even a close approximation of what I was hearing coming out of that console, this is going to be great. And it turned out to be just amazing stuff. It's not it's not flashy, you know. There are lots of plugins that that seem cooler, but it just the mixes you do with that stuff sound great. And at some point, like, you know, at some point, I'm going to have to upgrade. At some point, my old cases are just going to disintegrate. And then I'm going to probably have a rude awakening about which of these things are not even available anymore. That's true. That's true. So that'll be interesting UAD's to see. Got, UAD's got them now. Oh, do yeah. they? Oxford stuff, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Good. I love UAD stuff, too, by the way. Another yeah. shout out. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you mine, and I've got two really quick. Uh, first of all, every plugin that you guys mentioned, 100%. I love all those. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, repeat any of that. So I'm going to go on the music side of things. And this one, you know, is just a workhorse, and, I, and a lot of people use it, and it has a tons of sounds, and that's Omnisphere um, from Spectrosonics. I mean, if Usually, if I just want to start something, I'll just load that up because you have so many different sounds. But what's really cool is if you deep dive. A lot of people have it, and they never deep dive. If you deep dive in Omnisphere and you, you know, with their, oh, just the modulation that you can get, but just from the ARP to to just the way you can tweak the envelopes, it's it's truly just a powerhouse. It's just a powerhouse keyboard. So I'm, I'm, I love that. It's a go-to. It's where I start a lot of sounds and then you can go off of it, but it's a, it's a good pad. Um, How many people here absolutely love Omnisphere? (laughs) And and the effects processing in it. Oh oh, yeah, it's good. A lot of good stuff. Um, And then I can't, you know, following what, what Rob was saying, you know, the complete bundle, I can't stress that enough. Just, Contact alone with all that you can do with contact and all the expansion packs that are out there. It's just such a killer, killer bundle. And it's just, there's so many great ways you can do it. And it's such a great sampler. So contact, but I, I want to mention this other company that I found when they first started and I bought their plugins and I've been following them the whole time. And that's output. I don't know if you guys use any of the output stuff, but output is amazing. They they do so many great libraries and their instruments from from exhale to you know their bass stuff to even like they have this 
brass one that's really cool. So it's just, there's a lot of great stuff. And you, if you, if you get in with them, they, they actually have arcade, which is a subscription based thing. But if you get into their gear, their regular instruments, you know, you buy their bundles cause they go on sale. It, you can end up getting a lot of really cool things. So I got to just give a shout out to output cause they are amazing. They do some really great stuff, but there's some really cool, like go to plugin boutique, go to any of the ADSR sounds, any of those guys and look for some of these smaller boutique stuff. Cause there's some really great small little plugins that are out there that don't cost an arm and a leg that are kind of fun too. So, um, We'll have to talk about those. We'll we'll call that in our next conversation that we have about this. You know, our little secret gems because there's a there's a tons of little gems out there. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's great. That's good that we talked about some of your favorites really quick because we're at, believe it or not we're running out of time. <laughs> I don't know if you guys want to do this or not, but anybody have a piece of gear that they bought that just really disappointed them, like severely disappointed them? Uh, start with you, Nick. You you jumped in on that room pretty quick. Give me a minute to think. Uh, let me let me sift through the the multitudes in my mind. Give me a try. Go with somebody else, and I'll try to. Think and I promise I won't talk about the Yamaha sampler from years ago that I couldn't ever. You know what? That's sense. what I was about to. Oh, the TX16W. Oh, we all we all had a, <laughs> we just know that sucked. So that oh. was too easy. The TX16 someplace. <laughs> And we're not going to say anything about the MIDI DJ either, okay? So those two, those two are off the board. They're just too old. Uh, how about you, Brandon? Anything? You know, I'm looking at this this piece of gear off camera right now that I'll say, you know, I bought this years ago, like 15 years ago, thinking, oh, wow, this is so cool. I'll, I'll get some great sounds out of this. And I just haven't. It's it's a, uh, it's a Moog theremin. <laughs> <laughs> And it's fun to play and, and do all that, but I just, I mean, even routing through guitar pedals and stuff, I just haven't gotten what I hoped to get out of this ever. <laughs> that's a, that's uh, a good one. That's sorry. a good one. Uh, it's a good way to annoy your pets. <laughs> Rob, how about you? Is there anything that you can uh, point to or talk to or talk about? Um, let me think for a second. That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, there have been plenty of synths where, you know, like Korg would be coming out with new synths constantly and Roller would be coming out with new synths constantly. And I think I had the bug a bit too much to just always want to have the latest, greatest. And then I'd realize, wow, these all sound kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially the Korg stuff. They had a run there. Yeah, they did. And, and so... I think those are probably my regrets. I mean, those are back in the days when budgets were great, and so it wasn't killing me to buy this stuff. But, uh, you know, now that we're in an era where gear basically has to justify its existence, uh, I think everybody's a lot more careful. Um, no, I can't think. I mean, there have been plenty of pieces of gear, like the uh, the PPG HDU, which was their hard drive recorder in the early right. days. I thought was going to be a revolution. And it ended up being more a technology demo and not that useful. There have been plenty of experimental things over the years that you sort of live and learn. Right. Uh, I don't think I have too many things that I absolutely despise. Well, well, well uh, people are still thinking, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this is one that's pretty common for a lot of people. But if you go to like ADSR Sounds or any of these places where you can buy loops, 
more than once I've bought a loop pack and I've like listened to the demo and fallen in love with a couple of loops. And then you get the whole loop pack and you're like, <laughs> just, oh, I've got about 200 CDs like that. You're yeah. like, but the demo is amazing and the pack is terrible. And then you just listen to the sound. You're like, okay, and you could use that. But you, what you thought you'd be able to use all these sounds for is you really like get like a dozen and the rest are just going to take up our jar of space, you know? And that, and that happens way too often because sometimes some of the stuff that you like it for, you realize everybody else can like it for the exact same thing. And then you hear the samples out in the world and, you know, it just, it goes kind of crazy. So anyway, I have, I have my answers now for, all right. okay. So there's two things. One, Brandon really uh, spurred my imagination along these lines. It's the same thing because it's, it's cool but I didn't get what I wanted out of it, just like your theremin, right? Theremin owner as well? Or no, it- no, no, no. Uh, it's the Soma Labs Lyra 8, which is this little hardware synthesizer that was invented in Russia, and it's got all of these knobs, and it is so limited. All it basically is is a drone machine, and it's extremely out of control and unstable, so it doesn't, it doesn't do a whole lot. So it's, I bought it on Craigslist, and I sold it on Craigslist like a month later. It just wasn't doing it for me. Um, and then the other thing, and this isn't, this isn't something that, um, that I don't like because I think these are fine keyboards, but this falls into the are they really worth the hype category? And that is something like the Juno 106, which was an okay keyboard in its time, but as I recall, it only had one oscillator, and it didn't, it didn't sound anywhere near as good as like the Juno 60. It was... Um, it was like the poor man's version of the Juno 60. And now when I look on Craigslist or something, I'll see these things selling for like $2,000. And it's like, it's not that great. It's an okay analog synthesizer. And that's really about it. It's so true. It's so true. I'm sorry. I love the Juno 106, especially from bass. I just love it. You can. No, you can. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, Rob. I'm just saying that. It's not $2,000. It's not $2,000 worth of, and it's not as awesome as a Juno 60 in the same way that a Jupiter 6 is not a Jupiter 8, right? It's It's that same sort of idea. But if you've never played a Jupiter 8, then you don't know, right? The best thing about the Juno 106 is the fact that it had MIDI built into it, right? So you didn't have to have that crazy little adapter that you had to do with the Juno 60. Um, and so, and, and the presets were all there. It was super easy to program. I mean, I, I, that's, I cut my teeth on a Juno 106. That's how as the Juno series, like, it was so logical the way they had it laid out from the oscillator to the envelopes to the filters all the way out to the you know the amplifier so it was it was cool but yeah not $2000 cool that's like the JX3P it was cool at the time but it's not $2000 cool <laughs> i bought i bought one uh within the last year um, because I, it was my first polyphonic keyboard, and I was so sad when I sold it. I saw one on Craigslist for five hundred bucks, and I picked it up like that for right, five hundred bucks. It's totally great. There you go. You know that was. I did the same thing. That's like a you know a. Uh, it's it's a purchase. It's a memory purchase. <laughs> it's a goodbye purchase. But I did the same thing with a wave station, a Korg wave station. That was like the first keyboard I I like coveted and uh, when i saw one at guitar center for three hundred dollars i picked it up so there you Score. go Maybe anyway a lot more expensive when they were new <laughs> exactly yeah 
Um, but anyway, well, gang, hey, man, I can't believe how fast this time has flown because uh, we got to kind of end this right now. But that was great. That was fun getting to know some of your favorite gear and stuff like that. We've got some really fun stuff coming up. Um, before we go, we got to take care of two things. Number one, um, you know, we had some uh, legends pass away, you know, between when we did our last podcast and this podcast, Chikoria, um, Rupert Neve, you know, um, and both those guys right there. It's just, it's amazing how much influence they had uh, in the music scene. Obviously, Chikoria was, you know, his music influenced not just like jazz, but rock and also even marching band. Back in the day, everybody was taking his songs and converting them in marching band. And I remember going to competitions and you hear a ton of his stuff. So, you know, he was definitely, he transcended a lot of, um, a lot of different uh, genres. Did you, any of you guys work with him? Did you ever work with him, Rob? No. No, I would like to. Anybody meet him? Yeah. I would like to give one other shout out for an amazing guy who just passed away, a guy named Peter Vargo, who uh, I guess he was the studio manager for Stevie's studio. Wow. Um, I met him when I started uh, at Stevie's studio in 85. I guess, yeah, it was 1985. And he'd been there for a really, really long time. And he just passed away and he was an absolutely great guy. So Hmm. big shout out to Peter. Wow. And, uh, and one non-human who has now passed away that I think affected all of our lives, and that would be Fry's Electronics. Fry's Electronics. Yep. They, I mean, come on. Fry's was, I built my career on Fry's. Well, you know what? I used to tell people that me walking into Fry's was like Norm walking into Cheers. Yeah. Like, they all knew me. I had my own salesman at the one in uh, Woodland Hills because I, I used to do so much stuff for Stevie. I mean, I was probably building 20 computers a month or something. Like it was, it was nonstop. And, uh, I'll never forget our salesman there. He's an awesome guy named Oladatun Oni. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fry's fries represented a lot of my life and it was not shocking to hear that they went under. Cause I actually went to a fries about six months ago for the first, or no, right before the pandemic, about a year ago for the first time in probably five years. And it was a ghost town. There oh yeah. Nothing on the shelves. That's when nothing. they were done. Yeah. It had the stench of death thick upon it. I, I was amazed they made it this long, but well, the Burbank fries, same thing. Was it? They yeah. just, you know, they did from what I understand. Uh, and this is what I heard. I don't know if it's right, but um, they were really bad in how they were set up financially and a lot of their stock a lot of the stuff they had they you know basically bought on credit and so when they lost their credit from a lot of these manufacturers then they couldn't get the stock in um, as opposed to some of the other you know electronic stores that don't operate that way and the other thing too is they never really figured out their online you know they had over 30 stores across the nation and they were huge but they never got that online thing to work to compete against Amazon and Best Buy. And they really like did. You know that expression, adapt or die? I mean, they just chose option two. Like, they yeah. did not adapt to anything. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, but it's still sad. I mean, we had a lot of happy memories and fun memories there. You used to edit, in its heyday, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was great to go there. 
if you're building computers, you could see like 30 different motherboards laid out and compare them and <laughs> all the components. I mean, it was geek heaven. It really was. It really was. I tried hey. to go to all the different fries I could, right? Like the one in Sacramento and of course, yeah. oh. the one in uh, Palo Alto and the one in Burbank and the one in Woodland Hills. And it's such a, it's such a shame. You're up. The one right. in Vegas, the one in Vegas was, was awesome. It's like you go to, you know, and it's, it was huge and they had everything that you ever needed and, it was fun, man. I used to, when we'd go on to Vegas, that would be a stop because you'd go there and if you didn't want to gamble, you'd just pick up something to occupy your time to hang out in the, the hotel room and then go out that evening and stuff. So it was, it was pretty fun. But alas, no more. I'm fortunate I have a micro center nearby. So micro center is all the best parts of fries in a smaller building. But yeah, it, they had, they have all the new stuff and they have plenty of stock. So it's all good and dandy. And the truth is the fry, like there's never going to be anything like fries again. It's just the business model makes no sense. I mean, it doesn't. It unless doesn't. Amazon opens. I mean, maybe Amazon buys them and opens an Amazon store. Uh, which, which would make sense. There was something fun about going down aisles and just seeing all kinds of stuff. Well, and the thing is, fries just missed the boat. Best Buy is doing fine. And fries could have easily owned that space. Well, especially once the pandemic hit and everybody needed to buy their electronics through someplace, you know? So anyway. All right. Well, hey, gang, it was great to see all you guys. So we're going to be picking this up uh, and uh, podcasting a lot more. Uh, This one's going to be coming out on uh, March 9th. And then we have another podcast. And then after that, we have our 15-year anniversary podcast, so that'll be kind of kind of fun. Is anybody working on anything that they can talk about? Anything fun? Anything they want to uh, plug? Not wow. Not right now. <laughs> I, I talked about all my stuff last time around. All right, guys. Well, if no one's going to talk about anything, we'll just save it till next time. That's me, that just means you guys are working on some really cool projects, and I can't wait to hear it about them. Um, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Or you can uh, DM me through Instagram or through Facebook and we'll get back to you. So from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. You'll always be our favorite, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.